Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Deviant. We're all familiar with the term life imitating art, but often art imitates life. Edward Theodore Gein, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, or the ghoul of Plainfield, was an American convicted murderer and body snatcher who has been cited as the inspiration behind Alfred Hitchcock's seminal masterpiece, Psycho. Mr. Gein is the subject of this episode of Murder Most Foul. Author Harold Schechter, America's principal chronicler of its greatest psychopathic killers, recounts the grisly tale of Ed Gein in his book, Deviant. Well, I I first came across Gein uh, back in, I would say, 1987, when I was writing a book about uh, the movies, uh, and I discovered the fact that uh, my two favorite horror movies of the time, Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, had both been inspired by the same actual case um, of the very atrocious crimes of uh, this obscure, kind of meek, mild-mannered farmer out in uh, Plainfield, Wisconsin, a very small farming community. Uh, And I was very, very fascinated by that. I'd never heard of Ed Gein. And so I proceeded to look into the case and decided I wanted to write a book about it. Um, I traveled to Wisconsin to do research, uh, went to Plainfield, interviewed people who knew Gein, um, had lunch with the woman who, at whose house Gein was eating supper when he was arrested, uh, spoke to a young neighbor of his who you know, had been a visitor to Gein's house, um, you know, did a lot of research. I interviewed sheriffs and the judge who presided at one of his trials and uh, psychiatrists and did research in the um, town halls, all these legal papers, you know, it's the kind of research I tend to do for all my books. So, uh, you know, I assembled hundreds and hundreds of pages of raw material and then set about to write the book, which became Deviant. Uh, I think the subtitle is The Shocking True Story of Ed Gein, the original quote-unquote psycho. Uh, And that was my first true crime book. As in the movie Psycho, 
Gein's mother, like Norman Bates's mom, arguably was at the root of his psychotic behavior. Well, by all accounts, Ed's main relationship uh, was with this very domineering, overbearing, uh, almost fanatically religious mother who, um, after Gein's father died and then Gein's brother died, Ed was left alone with his mother. Um, but even from early childhood, he was this real mama's boy. Uh, and um, once he was left alone with her, their unnaturally close relationship, I mean, I'm not suggesting there was anything sexual or incestual, um, but he was bound to her psychically, you know, in this extreme pathological way. Uh, you know, that was part of what the author Robert Block, who wrote the original novel, Psycho, sort of got, got from the case. You know, this extreme, uh, you know, Ed being this extreme mama's boy uh, who was totally enthralled to her uh, and who even after her death, when he was left alone and very isolated because their farmhouse was very, very remote. I mean, the community in general is very sparsely populated. Um, Gein, the Geens lived, I, I can't remember exactly how many miles away from town, um, but, but it's a very, very remote area. So Gein was left alone in this increasingly decaying ramshackle farmhouse, uh, you know, missing his mother terribly. His mother had also instilled in him uh, this uh, belief that sex before marriage was dirty uh, and that she was the only woman who he could really count on for everything. And uh, this notion that, you know, she tended to see the rest of the world as a Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and, you know, she tended to see her fellow women as uh, harlots and stuff. So, you know, Ed grew up with this very, very warped sexual sense. The other thing about his upbringing was that Augusta, had hoped that he would be a, a girl when he was born. And throughout his childhood, you know, she would apparently treat him as a little girl, sometimes dress him in girls' clothing and so on and so forth. You know, so back in the 1950s, when these crimes were discovered, obviously the Freudians had a field day with this, you know. You know, Gein seemed to be such a classic textbook case, you know, of somebody who had been afflicted with this crippling Oedipal complex. Unlike Norman Bates, Ed Gein did not have the corpse of his mother squirreled away in the attic, but he did have a shrine to her all the same. Yeah, I mean, most of the, the you know, the house, the, the part of the house that Gein inhabited, you, you know, was this total shambles. Uh, I say in my book that it looked like, when you see the pictures, it looks like he reversed the normal process of garbage disposal and would go to the town dump and bring garbage back um, to the house. Uh, but when searchers finally investigated the house, they found one room boarded off. Uh, they had no idea what would be behind it because they had discovered so many other horrific things. And when they entered the room, they found it to be untouched and perfectly tidy and neat. It turned out to be his mother's bedroom, which he had sealed off and kept as a sort of sacred space. 
sort of shrine to her. was arrested and his shack was searched, the authorities assumed he had butchered scores of women based on the ghoulish items found strewn about the place. As it turns out, they were only able to charge him with two murders. Well, you know, the thing about Gein is, and, and the, the, the phrase serial killer doesn't appear in my book, um, because even though he is widely regarded as a serial killer, and I suppose might, you know, by some definitions, fall into that category, he was not the kind of serial killer we think of, um, you know, we think of Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, he wasn't the sexual psychopath who derived this pleasure from torturing, you know, and killing victims. Um, he, he, he did kill two women for sure. I mean, he was accused of a lot of other murders that there is no evidence he was actually responsible for. So Gein uh, did kill these two women, uh, but he didn't, again, it wasn't like Ted Bundy torturing his victims. He basically executed them. Well, there was a, a tavern keeper named Mary Hogan, uh, who is a woman of apparently questionable character. Uh, who had moved there from Chicago. And there were all these rumors about her having ties to the mob and so on. And she disappeared one day. It was clear that somebody had come into the tavern when no one was around during the day and killed her because, you know, they found some shells on the floor and bloodstains. Uh, Gein would sometimes joke about having her around the house. Nobody took him seriously, of course. Uh, and then, you know, the crime for, uh, for which he was ultimately or that ultimately led to his uh, discovery uh, was a, uh, a middle-aged woman named Bernice Warden who ran the local hardware store. And Gein uh, waited until the first day of deer hunting season in 1957 uh, when basically the entire male population of the town was out in the woods and went into town, uh, entered the hardware store and, purchased a little uh, antifreeze and then uh, asked to see one of the rifles uh, that they sold there. He had brought along some cartridges uh, and he loaded the gun. And when Bernice Warden wasn't looking, he shot her in the head, dragged her body out to his truck, drove it back to his farm, uh, strung it up by her heels, strung her up by her heels on, in the summer kitchen, uh, beheaded her, uh, disemboweled her, uh, you know, dressed her out like a deer. You can see f f photographs of that on the internet if you're so inclined. Um, I, I wouldn't publish any in my book. Uh, and, and he was immediately discovered when, when, when Mrs. Warden's son, Frank, who was a deputy sheriff uh, and also the town fire marshal, returned from the woods. Uh, he immediately saw something had happened to his mother. Again, there was a, a big streak of blood leading from the counter to the back door, uh, bullet casings on the floor. And he knew right away that it was Ed Gein because Gein had been in the store 
recently sort of pestering, quote unquote, his mother. And uh, a far, you know, some deputy, some sheriff and the deputy sheriff went to his house, discovered this horrific sight in the summer kitchen, you know, Mrs. Warden's uh, mutilated body hanging from the rafters. Dean was having dinner at the time at a neighbor's house. He was promptly arrested. Anyway, then, you know, then all these searchers entered into his house and discovered, you know, this unimaginable horror, you know, that ended up stunning the whole nation. It became the lead story a couple of weeks later in Life magazine at a time when every middle class household basically subscribed to Life magazine. And, um, uh, you know, they, in addition just to the chaos, the ordinary chaos, I mean, you know, Gein, you know, they would find coffee cans with used chewing gum, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. Gein was essentially a necrophile. Um, and after his mother's death, he tried to dig up her body and bring it back home with him. Uh, but he couldn't get to it because of the soil in that part of Wisconsin is very sandy. And a lot of graves are lined with these concrete vaults. And that was true of his mother's. But what Gein would do was uh, he would read the local newspapers. Um, and when some woman, either that he had known or just was reading about, uh, usually these were middle-aged women, um, somewhat stout as his mother was, he would go to the graveyard on the night of their burial and dig up the coffins and remove either the entire bodies or parts of the bodies and bring them back to his farmhouse. And he would dissect them and make various artifacts uh, out of, you know, out of their flesh and skin. Um, and one of the things he fashioned, one of the things he made, he made was a, a kind of skin suit and evidently uh, and he would also flay, he also flayed the faces from a number of these corpses and made masks. And he would evidently array himself uh, in these ghoulish garments uh, and, you know, pretend he was his own mother. Um, so that was a detail that Thomas Harris took from the Gein case in creating his serial killer. Uh, Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, my book came out a little before Silence of the Lambs. Harris did a lot of research uh, into the FBI files on Ed Gein. So, so Gein is really the inspiration for what I would regard as the three most terrifying horror films. They discovered all of these artifacts that he had made uh, from the bodies of these women. Uh, so they found uh, window shade poles, you know, made of human lips and a belt fashioned from female nipples. 
and a shoebox full of vulvas uh, and uh, a chair that had been upholstered in human flesh. Gein had done, Gein loved to read these uh, men's magazines uh, and he was particularly fond of stories about Nazi atrocities. And he got some of these ideas apparently from tales of uh, Ilsa Koch, you know, the bitch of Belson who liked to um, make lampshades out of the skin of concentration camp victims and so on. You know, they found this uh, mammary vest that he had made and worn. They found um, all these face masks that he had flayed from his victims and tanned and hung up on the walls of his bedroom, almost like hunting trophies. Uh, they also found Mrs. Warden's head. Uh, Gein, had, Gein had taken two tenpenny nails and bent them into hooks, stuck one in each ear, and run a, uh, a rope between them. He was apparently planning to hang that up as a kind of ornament. Uh, and they ultimately found in a, in a paper bag, uh, Mary Hogan's head. So, you know, when Ed said that Mary Hogan was at his house, turned out he'd been telling the truth. So, you know, the, the sheer, well, even today, this is like 70 years later, 60 years later, um, you know, these are, you know, crimes of a, of a degree and magnitude, you know, that have never, thank God, been repeated. So he was questioned by police from all over the state and different parts of the country about mysterious disappearances, you know, that they thought he might be responsible for. But it turned out he finally admitted, and at first nobody could believe him. It was almost easier to believe he was a mass murderer, that all these bodies had come from the graveyards. Uh, you know, that in, in an attempt somehow, you know, that he was so terribly lonely and he missed his mother so much uh, that he would go out to the graveyards at night when, you know, these women were buried. Again, he discovered that, that they were going to be buried from the newspaper notices and, uh, you know, dig up the bodies, pry open the coffins, remove either the entire bodies or parts of the bodies, um, you know, restore the coffins and the graves to what he called apple pie order. Um, and then, um, you know, bring the, the bodies back to his ramshackle horror house, as it came to be called. And, you know, he, you know, and do these different things with them. Now, the thing about Gein was, I mean, there have been a number of very notorious necrophiles in the annals of psychopathology. Um, and, you know, necrophilia is generally a sex crime, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, there, there have been a small fraction of human beings uh, who derive pleasure from having sex with corpses. Um, you know, there are a couple of very famous French examples, you know, one of whom after he was arrested, his, you know, said to the judge, you know, every man has his taste, mine's for corpses, so what's the big deal? Um, and in fact, you know, they're, they're really, I, I don't think in most states there are uh, actual laws against necrophilia. <clears throat> there are laws against tampering with graves and so on. So, you know, Gein in that sense was a classic necrophile, except he insisted, although who knows, 
that he never had sex with the corpses. Um, again, hard to know whether he did or not. Uh, he claimed they smelled too bad. Um, so, you know, I always think of Gein as a very American necrophile. You know, like the French necrophiles like to have sex with the corpses. Ed liked to make household projects out of them. Um, so he, yeah, that's what he did. You know, Ed gave the names of some of the some of the women whose graves he had defiled, and uh, you know they finally exhumed a couple. And when they opened the coffins, you know they found nothing was there. I think in one case there was a crowbar. Um, so, yeah, it turned out he was telling the truth. So, the butcher of Plainfield was he crazy? Or just evil? Well, that would be up for the courts to decide. Yeah, they have some kind of bifurcated or had, I don't know if they still do, system in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, so before they would try him, you know, they had this uh, sanity, you know, hearing. And Ed uh, was judged, you know, to be, uh, you know, not legally... Uh, not mentally fit to stand trial. And he was, uh, he was confined to a mental institution. And he was there for probably over a decade, a model prisoner, apparently. Um, he actually, you know, had a, a much better life in the institution than he had been living in that horror house. But in, I think, 1968, he pressed for a trial because he felt he was totally cured. He wanted to be released. So at that point they had a trial and uh, again, he was found, he was found uh, mentally incompetent and, and returned to a mental institution, which is where he died. You know, Guy, you, when you read uh, the interrogations and his confessions and so on, you know, he was very, very suggestible Gein. Uh, you know, his, his interrogators would say, so Ed, um, you know, did you, did you take that vulva and put it over your penis and pretend you're a girl? You know, and he would say, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, mostly he just uh, accounted for it uh, by saying, you know, that he had been terribly, terribly lonely and missed his mother. And in some way, you know, he didn't say this, but, you know, the psychiatric view was that he was trying to kind of reconstitute her. Gein's House of Horrors was quite the local attraction until March 20th, 1958, when the house was destroyed by fire. Arson was suspected, but the cause of the fire was never officially determined. It was suggested that the fire was not dealt with as a matter of urgency, as the fire chief was Frank Warden son of Gein victim, Bernice Warden. When Gein learned of the incident while in detention, he shrugged and said, just as well. I'd like to thank author Harold Schechter for joining us today. His book, Deviant, 
the shocking true story of Ed Gein, the original psycho, can be purchased online or at your local bookstore. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll come back again, and I hope you'll tell your friends. If you'd like to leave a comment, suggestion, you can do that on my website, which is www.murdermostfoul, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. And there you can link to my email address. Let me leave you with a few words from Alfred Hitchcock's Norman Bates. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you?